Hello there and welcome to Racehorse Movies, the show where two film fans take a racing sheet from last week, pick a random horse name for each other and from that name pitch a movie. In the pitch, to flesh out our movie ideas, we may include such things as stars, directors, composers, best boys and stable boys. Maybe not that last one. Hoping none of our ideas have to be put behind a screen and shot. The sky's the limit, the horses are on the starting line, the jockeys are frothing. It's time for Racehorse Movies. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's edition of Racehorse Movies. I'm Graham Thomas, and I'm joined by my very good friend, Mr. Luxo. Hello there. How are you today? You good? Oh, I'm very well, thanks, man. How are you doing? You good? I'm all right. I'm all right, actually. It's been a good week. Very, very busy. And it's led up to this wonderful moment where we get to pitch some racehorses to each other, make some movies. Been looking forward to it uh, myself as well, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, was this busy socially? What have you been up to, man? You've been having a nice time? I have been having a nice time. It's a bit of social, a bit of work. I actually had a um, an away day with the team uh, yesterday. Is this like paintballing nice. or...? Yeah. Well, we didn't actually do paintballing. Oh. We did um, clay pigeon shooting and go-kart driving. Racing. I They were racing. I was driving. Do you know in... Um, the scene in Roadhouse when Ben Gazzara, the bad guy, is driving down the road, his introduction, and he's just like casually weaving across the lanes because he just don't give a fuck. <laughs> That's me on a go-kart race. Uh, was that intentional or were your driving um, skills um, s- such that you drifted uh, whether you liked it or not? Um, I think it was a little column A and a little column B. Um, I can't drive a car, so it's all a bit alien to me. And so I went round and I thought, Oh, I'm going fast. <laughs> this is the pace lap. Like, this is like not even the start of the race. Like, oh, this is fast. I can feel it in my forearms. Oh, this is good. It's like shaking like you're in first man at the start yeah, or something exactly, like that. Exactly. Yeah. I felt good. And then um, the race started and everybody zipped past me. And I never really got over that. And I obviously came last. I got lapped twice, I think. Came last and couldn't do the second session because I got horrendous motion sickness. Anyway, that was what I've been up to. What have you been up to? Uh, I've also been quite social, actually, man. It's been lovely. I've had a nice full diary for the last few evenings, It's um, it, which is going to brutally impact my what I have watched this week, which we're going to get to in a second. So mm-hmm. apologies for that, but I'm not apologising for going out having a lovely time. It's been really nice to reconnect with a few people, head out for some food, um, a few nice drinks when I maybe shouldn't be on a work night, man. That kind of <laughs> illicit glory um, that I haven't done for too long, man. So it's been very nice indeed. Anything watched, consumed, any things to tell us people about? Any recommendations? Uh, yeah, well, I, um, I will, I guess I'm going to start with like my, uh, I'm really sorry I did this, Graham. Please don't judge me, um, <laughs> anyone. Um, I I don't, I, I think I, I'm going to blame vulnerability, maybe a slight hangover or going two nights out on the trot or something okay. like that. But I oh, can I guess? Up, can I guess? I, I, yeah, of course. Did you watch Black Adam? Right, yes or no, isn't it? It's a no, but I'm going to caveat it because I'm a people pleaser, so I don't want you to feel bad. No, I did see Morbius last year, and that was anyway. (laughs) We like we haven't got enough time to talk about what Morbius was, but no, uh, it was um, the Black Adam. it was not, but uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has starred with the actor in the movie I watched, Kevin Hart, quite a lot. And for some reason, and there's literally no excuse, and I knew I wouldn't like it, but I'm going to entirely blame John Travolta, which is my go-to <laughs> blame for everything that happens, actually. I watched Die Hard. Um, okay, I have never heard of that. Is this in preparation for your horse? No, 
I have no Good. excuse, Graham. I have oh, absolutely wow. no excuse for watching this film, um, other than the fact that John Travolta was in it, uh, and I wanted to see what he looked like now and what he was up to. Um, <laughs> genuinely, what I was does a bit he like, look like now? He looks well. Weirdly, the only note that I wrote down in the I think I watched about thirty minutes of this. I did not mm. complete it, so I shan't uh, judge it either fairly or unfairly. I guess uh, I will. It was really not good, um, but the only note I have written um, is virile. John Travolta was virile. Kevin Hart was virile. John Travolta, apparently. I, I, I think I, I don't understand the meaning of the word, or I got far too excited at just seeing John Travolta back on screen. But he was looking... Potent. He did. He No, he did. He looked full of vim. He was he, he was in this absolute nightmare of a movie, but, you know, I, I, I'm in a happy space. I was had a happy week, so I was like, I'm going to celebrate just seeing John Travolta. I'm I gonna... saw a John Travolta film as well. Oh! I saw A Civil Action came out in 1998. Steve Zalian is a courtroom drama, but like a, a courtroom drama that isn't the underdog, not spoilers, that the underdog wins against the odd and, odds and takes down the big corporation. It's not it's a, a Brockovich. Bit, no, it's a bit more, even though Brockovich was a true story, it's a bit more realistic in the way that the sides are playing each other and John Travolta and his team, like what, even though they're representing um, the good guys, for want of a better word, um, mm-hmm. the real people, obviously they are good guys, their motivations for doing so, it's about plea bargaining, basically. And they're, they're a personal injury lawyer, so it's a bit shady and a bit murky, their motivations and stuff. It's quite good. It's not amazing. It's quite good. Has he got, like, uh, is Sidney Pollack or someone like that in there in his team? or William, William H. Macy. Oh, oh, that's already, I'm pretty interested, man. It would be nice to go and see a 90s Travolta. Because what was the uh, the President movie that Travolta did around then? Primary Colours, I think it was, wasn't it? When he did a Bill Clinton-esque uh, impression. Uh, I believe so, yeah. Because there were two around the same time, um, and I think Primary Colours was his one, um, and it might have been Sorkin, if I recall semi-correctly. It, oh, yes, you're right, John Travolta. Well done. Sorry, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't um, doubting you in any way. No, it's always good to check these things. Well, well, speaking of getting things wrong, I should apologise for last week. I made a, a bit of a mistake when we were talking about The Omen, which I should have come clean about now. Uh, I said that I think in Omen 3 there was a very, very famous, iconic scene yes, did. that has gone down in history as one of the great scares or one of the great moments in cinema history. It wasn't, in fact, in The Omen 3. It was in The Exorcist 3. So I hang my head in shame and I apologise profusely. So sorry about that. I thank you for your honesty. I also thank you for making me want to watch um, another horror saga. Yeah, I saw my last film that I see before we get yeah. into it because it's been on my list for years and years and years. And um, it's actually come around the cinema a few times at the Prince Charles, but I've never been to see it. Is oh, and also Exorcist Link, um, a film called Sorcerer. Oh, by William Freakin. William Freakin. Yeah, Beautiful have you seen man. it? Yes, I have, and it's absolutely amazing. Film. Yeah. It's so good. Is that a Tangerine Dream scored? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very rare that I do this in movies. I do it in music sometimes, but it's very rare that I will stop a film and rewind the entire sequence and watch it again. Wow. Was that the... The bridge crossing yeah. sequence. <laughs> it's amazing. I don't know how they did it. I really don't know how they filmed that. Probably just by doing it for real, because it was the 70s and it was William Freakin, who's firing off shotguns all over the place and goodness knows what else kind Mm. of a thing, man. Yeah, it's uh, because that's uh, Roy Scheider, is it? Roy Scheider, yeah, that's right. Um, If anyone out there is interested, the Sorcerer, sorcerer, sorry, it's a 1977 action thriller, I guess. Um, Definitely thriller. It's kind of a... 
even though William Friedkin denies it, is clearly a remake of The Wages of Fear. Yep. So a group of four hardened criminals with nowhere else to turn are kind of rounded up and assigned a task to drive trucks filled with very, very unstable nitroglycerine from point A to point B. That's pretty much it. I mean, let's go, man. Come on. How how can you not want to watch that? Ooh, that was amazing. That was amazing. Right. Well, anyway, that's a lot of talk about driving, shooting. Driving. We loop back into driving to we finish off uh, the, what we've done, man. Seamless. All right. All right. Should we, uh, should we pitch some movies? Better do some horses, man. What's going on? Let's do some horses. Right. Okay. Uh, so... Last week, we uh, swapped some horses. Can, what uh, horse race was this in? I think it might have been up in Newcastle, if I'm not mistaken. We are at the 7am in Newcastle. I gave you one heart. You gave me one heart. You did indeed. Uh, one heart, which is uh, H-A-R-T, like the animal in it. Yeah. And uh, in return, I gave you a dark side thunder. Yes, you did. So who's up first? Who's going to pitch first, man? Who did first last, so to speak? Do you want to go first? What do you want me to go first? You go first because I've got I've got a surprise. Okay, let's let's bring up the gun, the Chekhov's gun. So you can just bring something on me. Yeah, okay, all right, fair enough. Okay, all right. You're going to go first. So from this seven a.m. Newcastle, this is one heart H A R T. Okay, so I thought that I should lighten things up a little bit. It might not sound like it's light to start with, but I promise this is like this is me lightening things up. Okay. There's no, so it's not, it's there's not a no herido. Like murder. <laughs> there's no there's child no, murder. Like no, there's nothing like that. I promise. I promise. There's not wow. even there's not even any violence. It's, I don't think. Wow. In between, in between last week and this week, have you fallen in love or something? Like, everything's roses no. now. It's been a good week. All I'm it's saying, man, it's, it's all groovy. So <laughs> I saw some friends. I had a pint, and now child death is not on my literally mind. Literally, all I need. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so I thought I'd go for well we'll find out we'll see what I'm going to go for man right so one heart so this is about Bobby Alexander um, and we meet him on his worst day now I know I said that I, I'm starting <laughs> positive and this is really happy but you know you've got to, you've got to start from down to get up man. yeah yeah how old is Bobby Alexander he could be like six years old and his worst day is you know pulling his pants at school anyway Bobby Alexander we meet him on his worst day. We're introduced to Bobby with a nice panny shot over some beautifully framed photos that look like some quite serious news events. And we sort of like see a little signature at the bottom, Bobby. We get the picture that he's probably a talented dude. Um, but as the camera pans across, we see the quality of these photographs starting to not dip, but become far more commercial and quite advertising. And we start seeing some pretty famous people pouting and looking all beautiful next to some Calvin Klein perfume or whatever the heck it is. Yeah. It is. He's lost his way slightly. He started off with some really nice sort of candid city shots, all of that kind of stuff. And as we slowly pan, it gets more gaudy, it gets more disgusting, and allowing us uh, to slowly journey into his uh, his lack of self-care. There's piles of clothes all over the place, a laptop with BBC News 24 playing on the loop and a thousand unread emails, uh, half-smoked cigarettes kicking around in cans and ashtrays and all that kind of stuff washing up all over the place and then eventually the fetal crumpled fetal shape of poor little bobby it's a laugh right already yeah see see how good this is man it's really light yeah so he gets up he's woken up with a shock he's clearly late he's tripping over beer cans like a with his ass out like a shit rigs (laughs) 
<laughs> his shoelace snaps and he hits himself in the face. The bus soaks him through. The train's late. Blah, blah, blah. All of that. <laughs> Tom waits as the bus driver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get on board. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise cameo. Yeah. Double fare, double fare. <laughs> Current. So he gets on, uh, he gets to the uh, the shoot, and we just see a little montage of a, another another of many days that we can imagine he's had of just taking pictures of useless rubbish that mean nothing to him, puppies and toilet rolls and cleaning products, and every now and again a really nice, attractive celebrity. And it turns out that he is photographing a big Hollywood star at the end of the day, uh, surrounded by a pack of wolves trying to sell some sexy perfume. Uh, he falls over in a bunch of wolf shit. And that's kind of it. He's had enough and he gets yeah. up and he's just like, what the what the fuck am I doing here? What the fuck are you doing here to the star who's been quite happily sat there preening himself and being told he looks all marvellous and he just completely loses shit and then he's out, he's gone. So Bobby goes back, he drinks, he looks for a new job, he looks for something, he looks for any kind of hope and all he finds is a little wildlife photography competition uh, advert that's sort of like a, a nice week's workshop up in the middle of nowhere in Scotland for him to go to and have a bit of a retreat kind of a thing. And he thinks, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reconnect. I'm going to find myself a little bit more. So he heads on up. All of the journey up there, he's just getting cancellations. He's slowly getting taken off the books. He's slowly getting all of the confidence that he thought, yeah, I'm going to go get some lovely pictures. This will be amazing. This will save me. That's slowly, slowly worn to a tiny little nubbin. So when he arrives, the first thing he does, instead of going to the pub to meet the other contestants, he goes straight to the offie, gets himself a load of booze. He goes back to his Airbnb, smashes the lot, and after a uh, bender of a couple of days wakes up or is woken up by the owner and the landowner of the Airbnb, this big, gruff, extremely angry Scottish man who, before waking Bobby up from the pit of his own filth, we are allowed to see him have a very sympathetic gaze down towards him. And he gathers himself, chucks his tea all over Bobby, right, what the fucking hell have you been playing at, man? And from then on, Bobby is tasked with helping fix up the Airbnb and helping redo some of the damage that he has done over the last couple of days. And that is instead of him having to pay any bills, and that is the arrangement he comes to because he hasn't got any money coming in because he spent the last of it on this little trip up to Scotland. During the course of helping him out over a couple of days, he's trapped in a big old field surrounded by cows as one is uh, is normally as what as normally happens when one is out in nature in a field full of cows they will flock to you. He gets rescued by uh, Julia, who he's this lady in the uh, corner of the field who waves them away and brings some of the cows to her. And in between, they manage to work out, and he's covered in cow shit. Not the first time he's been covered in animal shit over the last few days. It's a theme here. And he's helped over the fence. She's got a camera on her, and she is there for the. Uh, for the competition as well, man. So it's a nice little meet-cute between the two of them. She asks him, what are you doing here for a start? I assume it's not rolling around in cow shit and screaming for help. He's like, no, okay, fair enough. What are you doing here? I came up for the competition, actually. Oh, right, so why are you, why are you helping this angry old man? Why are you not doing that? You should come to the pub later. You missed yesterday or the day before, but there's still time. So he goes down there, starts to slowly ingratiate himself with the people there, man, and starts to let himself relax a little bit and... Mm-hmm enjoy the company of some fellow enthusiastic people as much as he uh, hates to admit it kind of a thing so then we follow his uh bonding with the team and then he is uh teamed with uh, shane who is another latecomer and shane is a very blowhard slightly slimy slightly 
locked in. He knows everything. He has taken a photograph of everything. Any animal you want, he has uh, He has previously photographed, be it in the Serengeti, be it wherever, man. He has done it all before. Very confident. So he, him and Shane get paired together, the, the first thing. And they're like, right, you're off tomorrow. You're going to do some, we're doing some workshops. You're going to be working together, guys. So you pair up. You, Shane, you go together, man. And he's like, oh, for Christ's sake. And the first thing that Shane says is, I spent seven days late in the tundra waiting for an Arctic fox to pop its little head out. I didn't even go wee-wees. You don't stand a fucking chance. I'll see you in the morning for the art shots. <laughs> and that's his introduction to Shane. That's such a badass thing to say. See you in the morning for the other shots. <laughs> Later. And so... We start getting, um, despite himself, Bobby and Shane, they start to bond a little bit, but Shane is continuing to be full of malarkey and saying, even to the point of saying he instead of I and some of the anecdotes he has, but they're getting on okay, man. Um, Bobby is also starting to bond with Damien slightly more, the landowner, uh, who one night when they are having a nice little drink after doing a lot of work, uh, he says, I couldn't give a fuck if you win this competition or not, but if you want some beauty, you can go... um, out to this uh, very remote place to see an extraordinarily beautiful beast with antlers like some of those trees you did a piss poor job of cutting down for me yesterday. <laughs> He's like, what's that? <laughs> he says, I know where there is a beautiful heart. And I'm pretty sure that whether you get a picture or not, it's something that you need to see and it'll do you some good, lad. Shane gets a wind of it. Bobby wants to prove he can still do art. He's wanting to chase the wrong thing, which is self-satisfaction and proving that he's the best thing at this and the best thing at that because he doesn't feel like he's much at anything at the minute. And so he sets off on his own, leaving Shane behind to go and get this uh, picture of this beautiful heart. And as he is, he's spotted by Julia. Julia follows him on his way and they notice that Shane, true to Shane, is following them, refusing to talk or interact, but just following it half a mile back kind of a thing. And so they go out into the wilds. Uh, it's a big old storm. Everyone gets lost. Uh, things come to a real head with Shane. Uh, Bobby calls him out, says, you're full of shit. I don't know what you're talking about. Ends up chucking his camera bag off into a gorge in an absolute horrible fit of uh, nastiness, like we kind of saw him at the start. Chucking his own He chucks bag. Shane's. He oh, takes wow. Shane's. You're full of shit. And this is bollocks as well, man. Oh, so he kind of just reverts back to type. Yeah, unfortunately. After all that yeah. growth he's kind of done, he just has a stumble... As he does this, this obviously sets Shane off because he hasn't done any of the things he said he's been doing. Poor poor bugger. That was his dad. And it's his dad's camera that he's taking along with him. And it's got film reel in it that has got a lot of shots that his dad took before his dad passed. And he wanted to finish off that reel, actually. And now you've just thrown it down into the gorge, man. And, and like, Shane is inconsolable. Julia's actually disgusted, man. And Bobby can't do a fucking thing. There's nothing he can do. Does everybody, does Julia and other people, does Julia know about the camera? Everybody knows about it except for Bobby. I don't know. I'm not sure whether the full um, everything comes out of Shane at that point. Okay. We'll come back to that point because we can develop it. Um, but that that is what occurs. They walk back, finally mm-hmm. find their way back. They haven't seen a fucking heart. They haven't seen anything, man. Uh, and and they just, they part. There's nothing he can say to be like, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry about that, by the way, mate. <laughs> or it's game over, man. So he goes back. And this is where he has the chat with the landowner. Our beautiful, brusque, nasty, but not at all nasty, very wise, <laughs> lovely landowner. Mm-hmm. Uh, gives him a bunch of advice and says, well, you can keep on doing this. And I've kept on doing this for a long time, man. And that's why I'm up here. And you don't want to be continuing to do this. I don't think you do because you work very well with me. I can see there's glimpses of happiness in you, man. And you've been getting on really well when you don't get in the way of yourself. 
Bobby wakes up and decides that actually he should continue to right some of the wrongs um, that he has uh, wreaked upon the village in the couple of days that he was having a nice little bender. He starts to explore it more, open himself up more, and during that he finds that he's actually quite enjoying taking pictures of the village, and he kind of forgets about the competition that's barreling along in the background, man. And he starts to just find his own pace and find his own happiness just doing what he did originally and starts to really make everyone else happy because he is happy and he is taking photos of them and they absolutely bloody love it man he's given them away and he eventually decides to like put on a nice sort of mini exhibition or whatever to thank everyone and show everyone the beautiful pictures of them he's taken but that still doesn't make up for the fact that he still feels completely awful about Shane so he goes back up to where they had that horrible fight he climbs himself all the way down that gorge uh, cursing himself every inch of the way obviously for being a fucking idiot because he's probably about to die he manages to pull back the camera bag and he takes it back with an apology and a look shame man if you want to we could all go out i think this still works it hasn't got completely bashed up man we can still go out together let's get you that picture to finish off what you wanted to do and i'm just incredibly sorry and i'd like to make it up for you if you are up for that as well man so shane happily agrees and the three of them go back into the world together well shane's a really nice dude he's just really sad he's just very sad and was putting up a lot of defenses beforehand um that made him seem yeah yeah and so the three of them go up and they of course encounter the beautiful heart and together watching shane take the picture they enjoy the absolute majesty of it for as long as it allows before it runs back off into the nowhere and they go back and shane of course wins and uh bobby himself uh stays and continues to live in the village where he has found his happiness again and julia does not stay with him because he's a fucking mess. And she <laughs> says, and, and he says toward the end, like, you know, look, I, I'm feeling good. I've done this, I've done that. And she's like, yes, you are. And, and, and yes, you do. And yes, you seem to be. And I'll talk to you in a year, man. I'll see you in a while. Um, if it's right, we'll see each other. And so it's kind of a bittersweet parting, but he completely mm-hmm. understands it as well because he knows he still needs to uh, complete himself up there or whatever, man, so to speak. And that's kind of what I was thinking for uh, One Heart. That was lovely. That's really nice, man. I liked One Heart a lot. I would like a it lot. to be um, like Detectorist C. Yes. Uh, have that kind of a vibe, man. Um, I yeah, was thinking casting-wise, maybe like uh, Rafe Spool. <laughs> I've got, that's exactly what, I've only got one. Rafe Spool for Bobby Alexander. 100%. Fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. Yes, we're in. <laughs> one shot, one kill. <laughs> yes. Um... Reese Shearsmith, I would say, for maybe Shane or... That's a good shout. I've got, for Shane, I've got Aidan Gillen. Oh, yes. Yeah, because he can do... He can do that smuggy, arrogant... I kind of, when you described him, I kind of thought of um, Shane as maybe almost like a... Not necessarily a city boy, but somebody who's already done, maybe done a bit well for himself. Like, he's got a really top-end Range Rover. Like he's prepared, like all that kind of all gear and no idea look about him. Yeah, Although yeah, you yeah. do find out about the camera and everything like that. Um, even though you might you might think that his stories are bullshit about being on the Kilimanjaro or whatever, but you're not quite sure. They could actually be true, and he is actually that 
yeah, yeah, adventurous. It's, it's not it, clearly bullshit. We're we're sort yeah. of led to believe that it's mainly Bobby's own cynicism that yes. is him saying like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, that's bullshit, mate. You're an absolute liar. That kind of a thing. He is present. He pre- Shane himself presents it extraordinarily convincingly, bar the occasional slip up, as he and Bobby uh, bond more. So the story is from the from Bobby Atlas's point of view. Bobby's perspective. Yeah. So whenever he sees Shane's interactions with people, he's, his own snark creates the narration in himself that this guy is just a, uh, a poser. Yeah, he's getting on his he's getting on his ass because everyone's really, getting on his ass. Yeah. But it really, if he were detached from himself and he just saw the situation, it was Shane's just actually a really nice guy, really engaging with people, and just is representing all the things that Bobby isn't or couldn't be. Yeah, and he's also he's actually a nice guy. And Shane himself is representing the things that his father did, as opposed to the things yeah, that he yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. But okay. that is his only crime is is the love uh, and sadness he is trying mm. to work through at that same time, and that's the way that he's chosen to do it. And he doesn't do it in an overbearing way or anything like that, apart from to Bobby. What sparked Bobby's decline originally? What was his ghost? Uh, maybe I should explain to the listeners what the ghost is. So the ghost is the thing that um, haunts the main character. So the perfect example of that would be in Casablanca, how Rick, um, Humphrey Bogart's character, was fell in love in Paris and they had the love affair and it didn't work out and she left him and it was horrible. And you find that out throughout the film, but that's the reason for why we find him in such a cynical, bad place. That's the thing that drives him that's what they call the ghost, which needs to be exercised throughout the narrative of the film. So my question to you would be, do we have a ghost or something that sparked the decline so that the reason we meet Bobby when we meet him is laid out to us either at the start or throughout the film? Do you know what that might be? Well, I didn't want to do breakup because that was obviously the first thing I mm. thought. And I was like, well, I, that just wasn't like uh, Julia potentially is up there because of a, a recent divorce, which is lends to the fact that she is like mm. no mate i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be with you now or any of that kind of malarkey yeah. is it just a general professional malaise that he's just taking these co- these corporate jobs i i feel like it's the fact that he is he's just constantly done that you know like hinted by that panning shot in the opening yeah, when yeah. we're seeing the decline of his art and then tying this in with i think that the people should know about shane's camera yes yes and, thank and, you. Bo- and bobby shouldn't so yep. when he does do it, it's really fucking shocking to everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, rather than... Because why would you get the exposition dump afterwards? Yeah, to yeah, cut exactly. that moment. Yeah. So what you could have earlier on is in a bonding scene in the pub and maybe Shane starts to try the story and to cut him off uh, or to reinsert himself in the group around the table, Bobby gives him this story. You know, like people always do, oh, that reminds me of, and then they talk about themselves. And then Bobby could talk about his ghost. Bobby can say, he can sh- show them a picture on his phone and say, this was a picture I really loved, but then I sold it on Shutterstock or whatever, and it just became this huge... Like maybe, he, maybe he did sell a picture for a stock image or something, and for some reason that picture went viral or just suddenly was everywhere, and he just got a ton of money and everybody wanted that same shot of the San Francisco Bridge or whatever. Yeah. And his career pivoted against his will, but he, he needed the money. Yeah, yeah. So he he could explain that ghost at the same time suppressing Shane's ghost. So when Shane's ghost comes out, it's much more shocking and might lead into Bobby just um, Bobby's behaviour, the way that he's just trying. To, he's so cynical and he's just trying to enforce himself into situations like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that sounds very good. Yes, yeah, yeah that works. And I like us uh, slash uh, them knowing about it beforehand mm. as well. Yeah, and then that's all the worse when that occurs. 
because yeah, maybe like Bobby could do his ghost reveal and then in a dramatic fit, so I'm going to the bar or I, I'm going to the list. And then, then he leaves and then the conversation carries on. Maybe he comes back from the bar with his drinks and... And they're like sort of hugging a bit. Yeah, hugging Shane a bit, but you don't know why. And that annoys him even further. Yeah, he's like, he's putting it on again for crying yeah, yeah, out loud. He exactly. never stops, does yeah, he, man? Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing I had, which might be a little bit too sweet or saccharine um, for the end... And I definitely ripped this off of Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. <laughs> I actually really like that film. Um, what if Shane doesn't take the picture of the stag, but takes a picture of the group looking at the stag? Yeah. Well, like, that's that's what I wanted was something that would... All windswept and that all. would uh, encapsulate all of them would, would yeah. be ideal, man. So, so yes. So they all, they all look at the stag and they, yeah. they realise the absolute beauty of this thing that can't be captured unless you capture it for yourself. There's loads of ways, different ways you can end it. But. Yeah, well, I like that more because I'd like just like, because when you're looking at that kind of majesty, apart from all of the uh, ardent professionalism that would make you take that photo, like you want to just get lost in it, especially them after everything that they've been through, man. It's not really about a competition or anything anymore. It's about them trying to reconcile with each other. Uh, so, yes, I, I like that. I like very much the idea of the three of them uh, being in shot and that being the winning uh, photography, yeah, and and seeing nature writ upon their faces as opposed to in the photograph itself. Wicked, nice bit of development. Um, who have you got for Julia? Jesse Buckley or Gemma Arterton, potentially. Good choices. I had Gemma Arterton in my mind, but not written down. I generally have her in my mind. Jesse Buckley's a really good shout. I have only one written down. I've got Kelly Riley. What is Kelly Riley in? Forgive me. Um, Kelly Riley was in Eden Lake. Ah, fantastic. The, the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I don't know why, I just immediately, when you said Julia was by the, the cows on the the corner of the field, I can imagine someone in, in like a barber jacket and a big yeah, yeah. roll yep. neck. Yep. Um, I don't know. Just, bit of a hat. They would like fit that around yeah, the neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesse Buckley's a really good shout. Yes. Yeah, Probably yeah, a bit I think... too expensive for this kind of film now. But yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but then we have got uh, the cameo of the Hollywood star during the photo shoot that he, he uh, first breaks down in that could add us a name that would get us an and somebody. Who would you have for that? Uh, well, I, I was I was wondering, because it has to be someone, uh, the, the kind of, it's the Johnny Depp perfume advert when he's got a shovel in the desert thing with a bunch <laughs> so of dogs. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, that God. would probably make me lose my mind if I had yes. to shoot that kind of a thing. So yes. it has to be yes, someone yes, like yes. obviously Hem- a little bit Hemsworth lovely. Yeah, it just needs to be. It just needs to be the thing that sparks off the the journey, right? That yeah. And yeah, yeah I think and it's difficult because you'd want the photo shoot to be ridiculous but not comedic. Because immediately I thought Channing Tatum. But I think if you had someone, it's so distracting to have Channing Tatum in that, yeah, he's that nearly, role. That that would be so comedic. He would be great, but it would be so comedic and just shift the tone of the film too far. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. we this is still in the like the uh, the Luke being sad part of the movie kind of a yeah. thing as well. We want to kind of establish that. What so about, when it gets light later, and also because the film's about people's perceptions, people not being who you expect them to be. Like Shane's not who Bobby expects them to be. Bobby's not who he expects himself to be. That kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, what if the, which I'm sure would be the case most of the time, the the model on the photo shoot was just incredibly professional, just super professional, everything right. But what gets to Bobby is just the um, the middle management of this shoot. They wanted it outside. They wanted it natural lighting. And all, all the things that you shouldn't do on a shoot because you can't control them have been enforced on him. And it all goes wrong, and he takes it out on the movie star. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it starts raining. They lose they're losing they're losing the light and it's just this isn't right. And I'm being forced to do it. And it all these people are middling around the creatives. If, if you've ever been on a few shoots with agencies, I've done a few um they can be really good fun, but there's also just you can tell immediately there's twenty or thirty people that just do not need to be there. And it's just it just slows everything down. It's really frustrating. Yeah, and that plays more to uh, like Bobby's arrogance that will yes. haunt him throughout the movie, and that he's like, I, I should just be doing this. What the fuck are you yeah, guys yeah, yeah. doing? And like, uh, and, and he takes out, out the wrong people the wrong that he person. shouldn't be. Exactly. Yeah, he's that. taking yeah. out the wrong person because the contrast in that scene is that the the model, the actor, or whomever, is probably getting frustrated internally, but they're being so professional about it. They're, they're getting the wind in the face. They're getting the rain and whatever it is. But still looking just, amazing. And um, that also would lead into him even taking it out on the model would lean into him taking it out on Shane because there's no Shane hasn't done anything to him. It's just his own... His, his projections own of what he projections. thinks is going on with Shane. So there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a kind of a repetition or a kind of between the model at the start and Shane's behaviour. And that this time he angry. actually learns, despite yeah. Yeah. It, or despite being in quite a hard way. Yeah. Mm. It's coming together. Uh, directors. Oh, we haven't done The Old Man. Oh, well, I was I've going... Got, I've got two. Okay, well, I, I was going for, um, first off, it was Peter Mullen, uh, but he might be a bit too scary, but he is very good at being sweet as well. Sunshine on Leith. Exactly. So he's got, I think he'd mm. be very good. Um, uh, Brian Cox yeah, would be... I've, got, I've definitely got Brian Cox. Absolutely, man. You know, fuck off, chef. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of just... <laughs> Get the fuck up! You know, I want someone like when he when he yeah. finally when he rouses Bobby. It's it's like it's like your de- mum or dad did when you were hungover and they were so flipping angry you vomited on the sofa. For example, <laughs> yes. a situation I'm completely fantasizing and fabricating. Of course, no, and that is yeah. the kind of tough love that he has shown throughout the thing, okay. uh, throughout the entire thing, by Brian Cox slash Peter yes. Mullen, who decides Great. instead of kicking you out and making your situation, which is clearly very bad, a lot worse. I'm going to give you a hand and get a few fences fixed, uh, you know, for free at the same time. Nice. I now have three. I'm just... Uh, and then this is... Oh, bollocks. He died. Oh. Oh, that's sad. Okay, well, no, I'm down to two now. Sorry. One oh. of them, I just I was going to put Albert Finney. Oh. He died Yes, he unfortunately did. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Um... And maybe last appears as the oh, groundsman in Skyfall oh, or something, yes. I think, man. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he's off the board. Yeah. I mean, good news for Brian Cox. He's quite pricey. These two, he's a bit maybe too famous now, man. I think Mullen would fit the Rafe Spool. That, that's the level, although Buckley, again, is is slightly stratospheric. Um, My other guy, and he's, yeah. he might be a bit too old. It's fine. Uh, There's no top limit as long as he's still kicking, man. My guy is James Cosmo. Now, James Cosmo is uh, an older dude. He's usually the big, bluff, um, old Scots dude. He was in Is he in Brave Game of Fa- Thrones? He's in Game of Thrones. Yeah, he mate. is. Um, who is he in Game of Thrones? He's on the wall. He's one of the... Yes, man. Some, he's, Beautiful um, He's um, uh, Jorah Mormont's dad. Yep. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm I'm, I'm sort of uh, gazing lovingly at a picture of him, man. He would be fantastic, and he has got a, he is he's a perfect look as well, man. Yeah, okay, okay. He can be quite. I reckon he can be quite tender. And, and he, no offense to Brian Cox again, like he's he's more our level of what we're after for this movie, I think, man. So that's like that. That's the main players, director wise. Um, 
I was thinking Ben Wheatley because he's really good at camping films and the outdoors. <laughs> is that your... <laughs> yeah, he would bring a dark edge to it, wouldn't he? Well, because uh, I was like, because he is, and I, I was, you know, I'm being silly, but I also do think he captures the outdoorsiness mm. of us and this country amazingly well, even in something like Kill List or whatever, man, the Gross. way he films and enjoys the forest and mm-hmm. these uh, countryside settings and the way he films them as well. I'm thinking sightseers, obviously, as the yes, sort of, of pinnacle of this. But I And a, a field in England. There's loads oh, of tents in it. Like, and, do you know what we'll I mean? Get, we'll get Rhys Shearsmith uh, for cheap. That's of... kind of what I was thinking as well. We can probably uh, shoehorn him in as well as a sort of uh, package deal, man. All right. Done. Nice change of pace from the films that we've been pitching. I think that's really lovely. It's nice to stretch our wings. And I've, I felt like I was out there. I can I can picture it, you know. I can I can see them walking around and taking their pictures, and I really like that. That might be one of my favourites that we've done so far. There's so much potential, and I like the way that we developed it. Yes, yeah. Well, it needed some, obviously, as always, yeah. from me, man. Uh, but yeah, no, I I wanted to uh, not be what I was previously and uh, bring a bit of uh, sunshine to the proceedings. Okay, thank you so much for one heart. It was beautiful. Um, I really enjoyed it. And so we're going to go on to my horse now, which is called Dark Side Thunder. And the surprise I said that I would spring is about ah, to be sprung. Okay, amazing at last, well, man. Well, it's not so much of a surprise, especially not now after we've just gone through One Heart. Because one of the things I really enjoy about this process, and especially in One Heart, is when we work together, we start collaborating, we start developing. Mm-hmm. I think that's just gives it a little bit more fun. Frisson. And a bit frisson. Um, so, and in no way does that mean that I haven't fully prepared a pitch for Dark Side Thunder. I've got. I wasn't got even gonna. Like, don't 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 mention the fact you've only got two bullets left if two you're bullets. facing an army, Graham. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they don't know that. I'm a I'm a sentry gun in Aliens. You are the horde of aliens. You don't know how many bullets I've got in my barrel, baby. <laughs> for for those you're who can't James, see, you're I also just... James Brown. <laughs> Get up! One, two, three. Um, so, yes, I've got my pitch, but I thought I've got beginning, I've got end, I've got sequel bait, oh. second, second act. I thought we could work on the second act together. Okay. How we get from where we set up to where we to need where to we're going to finish off. off. So you're going to give us you're going to give us a start. You're going to give us a, mm, a yeah, sweet little taste bit, of a start, yeah, yeah. and then we're going to have bits. like this beautiful dessert at the end. Yeah. And we're going to make our main meal in the middle, man. Okay, I dig that. And also because as you. No, and our listeners will know that and this is just the beginning of this. We, we're still finding our feet. Absolutely. We're still playing with the format, so why not just play around a bit, see what happens, um, experiment. Have some fun. Let's Have go. Have some fun. Okay. So this is my pitch for Dark Side Thunder, a film quite a way away in tone and style than... Um, one heart. One heart. One heart. As you can probably you can probably guess from Dark Side Thunder, the genre that I'm going to lean into. I mean, it's got to be. What was it going to be? It's got to be action or something, hasn't it, man? It's pretty full on action. It's got to be. It has to be. It's such it's a good go- name. I'm going. I'm going full on action. I can tell. I'll tell you the other things afterwards that I was thinking of. Yeah, but they all, they're all action, like the concepts. I, I have con- a couple of other things for One nice. Heart. We can whack for some extended editions, man. Nice. So no problem at all, mate. Okay. Dark Side Thunder, Act 1. Washington, 1988. Richard Darkside Moonahan. <laughs> yeah, there we 
you go. Moon uh, have wonderful. <laughs> dark green side light. You can stop yeah. there, Graham. It's fine. <laughs> I can stop. Richard, dark side Moonahan, is an undercover cop on the edge and in too deep. He's known to blur the lines between himself and his undercover assignments and his willingness to throw himself into the more unsavoury parts of the business. And that's why he's been given the nickname Dark Side at the yeah, print. He at the gets off on it. It's his forte. Yeah, that's his forte. Yeah, it's okay. in too deep. Um, it's all go, all or nothing, no quit kind of thing. So we meet him 18 months into an assignment to get in with a low-level crew who are importing, cutting and distributing drugs and whatnot around Washington. Uh, he's worked his way up and is now like middle management kind of thing. He's not at the top. He's not doing the MOOC work or anything like that. So he's running a small crew, but he's also getting a little bit too high on his own supply because that's what's needed, that he thinks that that's what's needed for to get in. And he's you know, the only he one has, doing the job. It's If, it, if he left, job. no one else would be doing it. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. And he's got to okay. taste the products when, when they do deals and stuff like that. He's got a crew around him. But the way his justification to himself and to the bosses and the, the the pen pushers at City Hall is that, you know, he's close to the big break. You know, he, you know, he believes that it's goes all the way up to the Every tippy top. Every sniff gets him close to the top, Exactly. Man. It's all getting up to the, close to the tippy top. In no way is this uh, cocaine-induced paranoia. This is this is a professional instinct, right? <laughs> all confidence right? for that all matter. <laughs> this is a professional instinct, right? Okay, so that's how... Moonahan's a very confident man, isn't he's he? He's a very confident man. He's, <laughs> he's got a lot. He's very quick. Does he, he's always chewing gum. I've never seen him eat gum or put gum in his mouth. He's always chewing. He's just chewing it. He's always chewing. Got no tongue left. Yeah. We have very gossipy meetings in the precinct. <laughs> yeah, oh, God, God, look at it. Look at his slacks. Can't believe he's wearing those slacks so, Yeah, so we meet him, like, doing a little shady little drug. That's like the introduction of the character. You learn a little bit about him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut to New Orleans. Randy nice. Thunder Rollins. <laughs> <laughs> Randy Thunder Rollins is a trusted driver who works for anyone who needs something dropped off or delivered especially stuff off the radar. He plays all the angles and he plays all the sides off against each other. Um, but they, people don't really mind. He gets the stuff done, but he's also quite cocky. He's a good-time guy as he's well. He's a good-time guy. Completely, yeah, uh... he, he's a bit smarmy, he's a bit charming. Um, so they don't mind. And it was, he always delivers, right? But it also he's making his moves off the grid to start up his own thing, get his own crew going to kind of go out on his own. So, yeah, he's cocky and fearless to the point of recklessness. He loves his life, and the danger is just a part of it. So cut back. So what we do is setting up... So we've seen both of their intros, basically. Yes, basically their intros. Yeah, yeah, okay. Dark Side, Moonahan, Thunder Rollins. (laughs) 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 So shit. It's amazing. Okay, so then um, Richard Moonahan is about to do a deal when it all goes south. He's setting his, like, the next step up. This is going to be the bus that's either... It's going to put his... um, crew on the map within the thingy and it's also going to give him the intel because he's going to level up now this is going to be it he's so going his, after his the main suppliers really, yeah, his crew are really up for it he's up for it because he gets the intel to get him even higher in the in the, the chain but then the deal the deal goes south for whatever reasons and loads of feds just bust in and it all goes to hell and richard um He's trying to calm everybody down. Put your hands down, put your hands down. And then the SWAT team that are in there just go off the chain. They just start wasting everybody. Massive firefighting ensues. Uh, the SWAT team aren't arresting anyone, just bare executing. Fools. Fools. <laughs> they are cooking fools, man. <laughs> so they're just executing straight away off the books kind of thing. Richard maintains his cover during the shootout. You know, he kills some SWAT. He's got to keep it cool. It's a really tricky situation to be in. Um, 
and it, within his crew, there maybe there's a, I don't know, another undercover agent as well, like a partner kind of thing who's a bit lower in the crew. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They get, they get shot dead, murdered, and um, Richard is eventually cornered in the shootout and he surrenders thinking, you know, well, nothing's going to happen to me, I'm a con. But I have to surrender to maintain my cover. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Cut back to New Orleans. Um, Randy... Thunder Rollins. He's doing a simple don't ask, don't tell drop somewhere in the swamps. So he's transporting some cases via, you know, one of those badass airboat things with the... Yeah, yeah, with the thing on the back. Yeah, the police yeah, yeah, academy yeah. ones. Yeah, police academy ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a few of those going around. And it, that uh, drop also goes south. It's hijacked and he manages to escape. And some of his friends get killed, but he manages to get out of it. He doesn't know who's hijacked them or, or the, the double cross. He has no idea. So he delivers the package, demanding to know who he wants to know about it. Like, who is this for? I've risked my life. My crew are dead. Who is this package for? Right? He's never asked this before. It's been it's just like a step too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was supposed they to crossed be, his coat. They man. crossed his coat. It was supposed to be a milk run, and no one, nothing goes south when old Thunder Rollins is on the case. Rolling into town. Rolling into town, yeah. The buyers give him some extra cash and then thankful for the, just the small thing that he's delivered. But they, they tell him to forget about it, you know. Forget about it, it's just New Orleans. It's not your problem, kid. It's not your problem. These you, things you, happen you can, here. you can either take the five large on top of your fee or you can take the six that are in the barrel. Exactly. So, kind of thing. You, so you're not going to worry about this. Let the gators take care of the rest, man. And back we go. So we can see with like these two storylines kind of running in parallel at this time and cutting back and forth through the major actions. So Richard is now... Um, in a transport back to the precinct, so he's in the back of the SWAT van or whatever, and he's going fucking mad at the cops for busting in and just blowing his cover. Like, what the hell's going on? Why are you doing this? I saw some me, of you guys... Where's gonna, your superior officer? Where, yeah, get me, you guys playing sergeant, at you clowns? Giving, giving him the code, giving them the code that he's undercover. I don't know yeah, what yeah, he's out. Swordfish yep. or whatever. The, the password is always swordfish. <laughs> uh, we can't believe that it's uh, been sanctioned like that. And then the truck takes an un- unexpected turn. You know, it goes, it zigs when it should have zags. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, the precinct this way, they yeah, go that exactly. way. Yeah. There's, a, there's a sign that's like the docks. <laughs> the precinct, the docks. Drowner's Leap. Drowner's <laughs> Leap. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so he goes the other way and he's about to like spring into action and he just gets like a rifle butt in the back of the head. And then cut back to New Orleans. Randy has gone on a bit of a drinking binge, really. He's taken the money. He's lost his crew, of course. He's he lost has. his crew. He's lost his best mate. He's gone on a bit of a drinking bender. And, but something about it is just sticking in his craw. Something stinks. So Richard wakes up in a warehouse. Uh, he's interrogated about who he really is and what he knows. And Richard, of course, resists the torture and the interrogation because, you know, he's pretty tough. And then his sergeant arrives on the scene and it's revealed that the sergeant obviously is part of the corruption because it's got to be. There always is, isn't it? Uh, he's been using Richard's intel to make his own moves against other outfits and grow a cabal of crooked cops in the city to, to be uh, like the go-to outfit for shifting drugs and guns and whatnot. So when other operations in other states or countries need to get things through to, to like Washington Columbia or whatever... Like Columbia are going to ring... They're rigging yeah. him now. They're rigging him now because they can get the in. He's got. He's in Washington. He's got access now to, you know, mayors, politicians, whatever. Kind of like the uh, New York taxi company or whatever it was that off the books, uh, massive. That's l- a, from the usual suspects. Uh, yes, that's the badger. Yes, yes that's one hundred percent what I was thinking. Of Absolutely. When I, when I think, yep. Yeah, the yep. New York, New York's finest taxi service. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the that's so good, yeah. so good. Um, anyway, the uh, he's about to get executed. Oh, Richard, um, so it doesn't give away anything. Um, of course he doesn't. But he's kind of getting the way that he's answering questions, the way he's making them talk, he's getting the intel himself. Like small little details Just that he's picking up. 
give them enough rope. They'll hang yeah, exactly. themselves, just man. They think phrases. he's going to get off or whatever. Yeah, and he they knows don't mind the, being the longer the longer that they they beat him or whatever, the other crew that are hanging around, you know, they're just going to start talking to each other. So he's going to pick up a name, even if it's just a name of a hood, or he's going to pick up an address, or he's going to pick up something. So if he can just take a knee and take the punches, and all Hansel that, and Gretel, just, baby, yeah, crumb he by can crumb. just get crumb by crumb. He can get it all. But anyway, it, go, it goes on, and the sergeant's like, "Oh fuck it, I'm just going to execute him. He's not giving me anything." So it's goodbye. It's time for the uh, the old. What do they call it? The dirt nap. It's time dirt nap. The, yeah. Yeah. It's time for the old dirt nap, kid. <laughs> And of course, in these kind of films, he's just six foot elected. holiday or six whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds like a B side to Electric Avenue. <laughs> I'll be remixing that later. <laughs> Sorry, this 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 audio for the podcast is not going to get any better because I'm going to use my audacity skills to re-record that song for you for the next week. That's fine. Please do. Um, so yeah, he's just about to get ex- he's just about ex- about to get executed by the sergeant, and the sergeant's phone rings. You know that last minute reprieve. Sergeant um, takes the call. Uh, Richard, yeah. Um, Richard can't hear the the, Whatever, the, the, call, the, the other, other caller, yeah. but the sergeant out of nowhere just starts speaking like Creole or something like that. Some very distinct dialect or some a very distinct kind of accent or something, and like dropping words that he knows like. Hang on a minute. This is like this is this is a clue. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it, it, the phone goes on, and Richard, obviously, and that kind of thing. He, by that time, he's picked his lock and whatever, and he's of course he, he busts out. Big action scene, or a kind of escape scene. Yeah, yeah a rings. cool like ninja, but kind of big action scene with some yeah. neck snaps and a few things like that. Perfectly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and the um, the sergeant like scrabbles away, and it's you know they he escapes. Richard escapes. This is where it starts getting thin on the ground. He's got the accents. He's got these little words that he knows because of the dialect. And he knows it's from New Orleans or a certain part of New Orleans. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he yep. gets in his car. He, he, you know, maybe he fakes his own death or something like that. Like he blows his car. I don't know. Whatever. Well, he, on, he the, just goes on the rogue. escape, it is he, apparent that he has died. You know, in the, the rock, Sean Connery diving off the side, big explosion, that kind yes, of a thing. Yeah, there yeah. ain't no way a guy had lived through that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Bring me sad. the body. There ain't no body. He's in the clear. He can now start to rebuild his case, start pulling at that clue, man, that little yes. thread that he got. So yeah. He's got the thing back to New Orleans. Uh, maybe has he uh, ever been to New Orleans before? Is it an old stomping ground? Wow. Uh, any of his old wow. crew? Something like that? Okay, wow. sorry, I will call my jets, mate. Okay, I'll, so I'll he, he rain gets in back, my gaiters. He gets back into New Orleans, heading back to New Orleans. Meanwhile, um, Randy Rollins. So he's been making some moves around town. He's been asking about things, just trying to figure it out. Like, who is he trying to chase down some of his leads, trying to figure out what the fuck went wrong, who was this stuff for, right? So he's making some rumbles as well. Stuff happens. That's what I've written here. Stuff happens. Right? <laughs> like, in the, like, oh, stuff happens. Stuff happens. <laughs> just we, could, we can figure out what. Right? Yeah, yeah, okay. And then there's the end of the first act set pieces. Like it's, gonna, it's in a, a club or a, a jazz bar or whatever with the, the mezzanine where the bad guys are up there behind glass doors and VIP area only, sir, that kind of, yeah. Yeah, so Randy's in the club, Richard's in the club, doing their, running their own investigations, unaware of each other, right? Some big fight breaks out. Someone obviously is going to get thrown out of the office and land on the band or something like that. Crash. 
the lights go off, needles scratch, even though it's a live band, um, all that kind of stuff. Big fight. <laughs> well, they put a record on and then scratch it <laughs> to scratch it. show <laughs> how impactful that falling <laughs> yes, out of the window exactly. was. Yes. Big old scrap. Big old proper bar fight. Oh, I um, love a bar fight so much. Yep, fight. fantastic. Yep. Uh, we're talking chairs over the back, pool cue snapped over people's arms, all of that kind of malarkey, man. And so much uh, sugar glass, you can barely move. So much. Not. It's not going to be a brutal... Um, club scene like in Collateral where people are just getting like wait this is going to be a bit more like yeah no innocent people like like as the fight breaks out like the the sensible like normal people just run to the sides leaving only like the goons and the bastards Mm. man yeah yeah you'll get all those amazing bits like someone grabbing a bottle off a cocktail waiter's tray and smashing over someone's head hitting the wrong person (laughs) and then that starts another sub fight and all these things going on it's a massive brawl and it ends when um Richard Moonahan and Rick Robbins, they, they're fighting and trying to get to where they, maybe they're both after the same thing. Like I think they the slide snitch. underneath a pool table is what I can see. I can see that's how they <laughs> yeah, meet. Yeah. They're like sliding across broken glass and like spilled <laughs> beer and and then bang into each other's shoulders or something like that. <laughs> Big beef. And then the shoulders connect and the pool table yeah, it's, cracks it's and like laugh. the predator handshake <laughs> <Yeah>. with shoulders. <laughs> yeah. Um, so maybe they're chasing after the one lead. They've both got the same lead or something like that through this par fight, whatever. Yeah, yeah. If you have the lead act uh, like the diamond in the beginning of... Um... Yes, yeah, exactly. Temple of Doom. Thank you. Yeah. So they, they come up to each other and they turn around and they look at each other and they, they freeze, spark of recognition. And then Rick Rollins just lays out Rich. <laughs> just lays out. Bam. Right. Excellent. So he, and then that's the end of the scene. Cuts black. Next scene. Dingy sink filled with ice. Someone puts their hand in the ice to kind of cool it. Oh, yeah, you see the blood. Yeah. yeah. Takes, scoops out some ice, puts it in a blanket, ties it up for like an ice pack, walks through like a trailer or like a dingy New Orleans apartment. Yeah. The ice thing. Yeah, I can I can hear some like some music drifting yeah, in through the open window, exactly. man. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. blue light through yeah. the um, slats. The neon, absolutely. He throws it down and he throws it onto the sofa, onto a lump. The lump stirs and it wakes up. And it's rich. And then he says, put that put that on your head. And Rich puts it on his head. He says, It's good to see you, brother. And he says, It's good to see you too again. So they're oh, actually they're actually brothers. There we go, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's the twist. They're estranged brothers. Beautiful. One of them taking the mother's name. Obviously, one of them sticking with the family business, which was Rick, who stayed um. Is it Rick? Randy, sorry. Randy, yeah. Rick's, Rick's, Rick's our Washington boy. Randy's yeah. in New Orleans. Yeah. So they they come back and they've obviously, they're, they're frictious, angry, don't really trust each other, but they're still brothers. So. How long How long since they last? How estranged are we talking here? Oh, 10, 20 years. Something went down. Perfect. Right. right. Maybe uh, I was thinking the that family like, involved in crime or something. Yeah, I think there's a family. That's why he left and the other guy family stayed. Family business, crime family business. But I was thinking that both the brothers went to the academy, but Randy flunked out of the academy because he was bent. And then maybe Rick, uh, Richard like didn't turn a blind, didn't turn him in, didn't rat on his brother, of course, but didn't make it, didn't protect him when he could have. Yep, he got out. That was his yeah. choice because it's that like I protect my brother and I compromise my beliefs. Yeah, I protect my brother and we both go into the family business. And well, I ain't prepared I, to I do that because I'm built that. to catch bad guys yeah. and I'm going to prove and that when I go to Washington. Mum was a cop or something like that. He was followed in that, that right vein. Yeah, so yeah, there yeah. is that friction. But they, you know. anyway, So obviously 
they don't team up, but they, they they share the information. This is where the second act gets a bit sketchy. They they still conduct their investigations, but they're kind of working together, kind of double crossing each other, kind of not not really trusting where it's going to try and figure out. And then there's a second the second act big action sequence. Don't know how we get there, but we get there. Um, there's some punch ups in between. Some little mini action sequences are scaling up, trying to find out, going to the, the swamps, um, going, trying to find out where the shipments are going into Washington and how the network, they're trying to piece together the network because they're both connected in some way. We don't know what sure why. And then they have, you have to have that bonding scene where they have a drink together at the bar after like one of them's got the shit kicked out of them or something like that. And they talk about the family life and they talk about dad being crooked or dad being part of the business, mum dying or mum leaving. And they've also got an estranged sister that, that she died and it was very hard for the family as well. So there's lots of fractures. Yeah, she may have died as a result of the criminal activity which gave uh, Richard another excuse to get the hell out potentially as yes. well. Yep. Yeah, exactly. A bit exactly. more motivation exactly. for him to leave. A bit more motivation. Yep. So they do, by voicing these ghosts of the paths together, they kind of get together. A bit. And they're also being... Um, further thrust into each other's uh, trajectories because they are, whether they like it or not, the only two people they can trust. Um, and then there's a big action set piece in the second half, which I can't figure out. They, they Maybe they find this is the shipment or this is the, the roots, this is the people that are doing it. And I want to have a big fist fight. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, but on like an articulated truck. <sighs> yeah, like on the, the roof. Fight, on the top. Yep. On the, on the roof, yep. inside, hanging off the side of it. Uh, hanging on to the brake wires, and then the brake wires are going yes, flying exactly. out and sh- shooting all of the yeah, exactly, stuff exactly everywhere. Like <laughs> Not a driver, we covered this earlier. <laughs> yeah, that maybe one of them who one of them is a really good driver, which is Randy, and then one of them, um, Richard, may be a really good shot, but in that sequence, one of them, the other one has to drive, and the other one has to do the fighting or something, so they're out of their depth, but still kind of working together. Yeah, well, yeah, to and even more it. so, because they have to, because they are not in their elements. Yes, exactly, and they, they nick, or they either destroy it, or they steal some of the product from this. And also, uh, the stealing of that shipment will bring people to them as well. So they are now going to start turning up on people's radars, and it's going to be um, probably a bit less of them seeking out things and a bit more of them dealing with the repercussions now they have stirred the hornet's nest enough. Which leads into the the third act, whereby um, Randy gets kidnapped because the people that told him, like, you've got the five large or the six and the gun... That from way back, that's come back to him now. And maybe the cops have come, they found out that he's sniffing and it's gone too far now. So just before that scene, there'll be maybe something where um, Richard sold him out a little bit or they've had a, they've had a fallout. And he needs to be abandoned ways. and that's how he becomes vulnerable yeah. enough to be caught. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Richard has done what he did last time and he's got the hell out. When. Yeah, well, maybe maybe after all that, Richard's found out that actually Randy's involved in it way more than he said before. Yeah, yeah. Before yeah. he said, I just, I'm just a pickup guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a bit extra. Normally, I'm attending bar down at Jumping Jacks on a Friday. It's just a little bit extra, but really, he's a lot further in it than than And loves being in it as well, man. Yeah, exactly. Loves being in it. And that maybe that's part of, you know, maybe in that fight, he doesn't kill one of the goons because the goon recognizes him or he's a friend or something like that. So they get they go their separate ways. Randy gets taken, kidnapped, yep. taken to the bayous out there to some shack. That, that'll be like the third act, the finale where he gets, he has the choice 
yeah, he's going to go rescue his brother and to be damned with procedure or the case or anything like that. He's so far away from the case too late. now. He, the choice is to go back to Washington and expose all the corruption or stay possibly die and save his brother and then we don't know. And we'll deal with the rest after. Look, dude, he's, we'll he, the minute he after. crossed the Washington state line, man, he, he mm. had made that choice. He knows where he, he needs made to that be, choice, exactly. So he's got to go back and rescue his brother. Obviously, they do and it's a big fight on in the dark, maybe in some rainy storm in the swamps and the bayous and there's hissing, um, swirling piers, alligators the all over the place. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a ton I'm of sorry, alligators. I'm sorry, I keep saying alligators. Going. I'm so excited. The minute no, you I've said New Orleans. <laughs> I've got alligators written like eight times on my little document. Um, so, yeah, someone's going to get eaten by a gator or something like that. There's going to be chases on airboats at night. Big old kind of action set piece. Right. And I think maybe throughout the film as well, like at the very beginning when... Um, Richard was getting tortured and the guy was speaking in Creole. Yep. We don't know who he was speaking to. We don't know who um, Randy, who um, who organised the, the ambush on Randy or what that product was or where it was going. They wouldn't tell him. So all the way through, they're drip feeding that there is there's something out there. There's a big bad. There's a reason where this is going. It's not, it's just, not just a bunch of watching. drugs here and there or yeah, anything there's like something that. Bigger, yeah. There's something bigger going on, but we can't quite figure it out. So we have... Um, this big shootout, or this big fight, action scene, um, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the bad guys all die. The good guys survive. Um, uh, and then kind of... Randy is shot, or, or yeah, Richard Randy is shot. shot Someone yeah. has taken, a, yeah. like, a shoulder wound or a... It's, yeah. it, exactly. it's straight through. You're going to be fine, kid. Yeah, so we have the big explosion. Guy gets shot, and the bad guys are kind of dead. The, the product is destroyed. They, they kind of sequel bait. They've got, they've got rid of that level. But they know that this this goes further, but we don't know. Yeah, it's going to go up sequel bait. But they've they they've secured the narrative of of this film. Okay, but there is a post credit scene. Okay, okay, good. Hit me with it. Yeah. So we can flesh out the bits leading up to that bit. This is the bit we've got: the beginning bit, a bit of the middle bit, and the post credit or the the end bit. Post credit scene. It's an alternative perspective of the final fight. Thank right? you. So one of the cases of money falls into the bayou or something and some henchman gets it and escapes and runs off into the bayou and everyone was actually, but they don't see him, he just gets away. And we've got to follow this dishevelled lackey who gets to the real big bad's place at the end with the case and says, you know, I've got it, this is it. It's similar to um, uh, Randy at the beginning, they don't execute him, they reward him, at least you got here and thank you for the information. And then you don't see the real big bad in shadows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Takes it, big bad, and then steps out, and you see that it's um, it's a woman, and she says, "Ah," and he tells her what the story, blah blah blah. And she says, "Ah, so my baby brothers are starting to grow, starting to be grown ups." Oh wow! And that's... then she and, and then she looks out, and she's um, in the, like, the Colombian mountains, and she's got this massive like paramilitary training camp going on. <laughs> <laughs> like the uh, like the 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 place they raid in the beginning of Predator or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, but like, but like big. I'm thinking like Saruman <laughs> on the Orphan looking out and all these. But yeah, it's, it's a typical kind of A team setup. The idea being that it's a big family drama now because obviously the sister is the big bad, or she went her own way. She's the elder sister. She went her own way. Maybe she became a spook. Maybe she got turned by the CIA uh, and disappeared. And the middle brother Richard went into the police force to avenge her death or to find kind of to find out what had happened to her but really to kind of 
save people and be a cop. And the younger one, seeing the fruitless efforts of both of the older siblings, decided, well, I'm going to put my lot in with the criminals, man. Yeah, I'm, stay- I'm staying back to look after Dad. Yep. Or getting with Dad. Or I just well, like both, it around here. Yeah, I don't... Maybe, one is the other. Not, not as bright... Not, maybe not as bright as the brother or something like that. But yeah, maybe she's a spook of some kind who's just completely lost away and has just got this um, Colonel Kurtz-style... Yeah, she's gone rogue, man. Absolutely of, rogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's yeah, still yeah. fulfilling enough of the CIA's wants and needs that she is still too valuable to be taken out, man, which is why she is flourishing and the brothers have to go in and confront her, man. Yeah. This Thanksgiving... It's going to be tough. <laughs> this Memorial Day. <laughs> there we go. So that is my idea for Dark Side Thunder. We're, we th- we're going pretty balls to the wall action with this, aren't we, man? I think so. There's no yeah, other. I, but I also think. Or oh, how you know, gritty? Got, uh, like where? How much are we flirting with the narc feel of things compared to? So that that that. More yeah, it's got. It does have a touch of Copland to it. Yeah, it does. I drive Mangold. It, mm, you know. But fight on top of a lorry. Fight on top of a lorry. No, yeah, Shane I, I, Black, I probably could, you know, it's, it's got that, I, I'm tempted for both. Shane, Shane Black would be a good pick, actually, because he could do the, the humour quite well, of the, the, buddy, the buddying up thing and the relationships quite well, I think. So, yeah, I think Shane Black would be a really nice shout. John, if he wasn't in prison or maybe dead, John McTiernan would He, I think, is now out of prison. I, yeah, I'm probably I, looking for work. We'll get it for cheap. Dude, 100%. Him and we get snipes thrown in, I guess, with that deal if we're, uh, <laughs> while we're at it. Do we have to? Nope. <laughs> no, no, no. He won't nope. work okay, well. so, He just comes along all right, we'll with get, any ex-coms. If John Bittinian can do it, Shane Black would be a good pick. Let's do some casting. Now, I was go- I was going to position the casting like this. We do present-day casting. Okay. We And we do 1988 casting. Well, you, you've already seen into my mind cinema where I was watching it all in the <laughs> 80s with an 80s cast kind yeah. of a thing, man. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Which one do you want to do first? Let's go now, because I was struggling more okay. with the now casting. Not struggling, but because all of the beautiful muscular, uh, sprayed with water, glistening people from the <laughs> 80s were uh, running around my head, it made it harder for me to focus on who I might pick now, man. So I'd be interested to chat that through first, I think. Okay. Um, I think... For Randy Rollins, I was thinking, uh, quite heavy set, big guy, I was thinking like John Cena. Cena is, I, I may have balked at this before watching Peacemaker, the show. Oh, Peacemaker is and so good. And since watching that, Cena is in whatever he fancies being in, man. And he would do, mm. uh, not yeah, he'd, be, he'd be able to uh, portray that uh, big lunk-esque nature that we want, or that e- more easily led uh, character compared to whoever are slightly more together, older Richard is going to be, man. Randy needs to be really charming. Like, if you would... I don't want to take this off the board for the 88 casting, but you'd want Kurt Russell kind That's of That's all right, yeah, yeah, 100%. You, you know, like, that yeah. kind of really charming, but on the charming side, but then also on the sleazy side. Yeah, yeah. yeah and... And, you know, and quite fast-talking, because he's working all the angles, everybody likes having him around, and he... he he can think, yeah, he, even though he doesn't believe that he's particularly intelligent in terms of yeah, investigations smart, like the other, he's got street yeah, smarts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Josh Hartnett? Hartnett would be very good. And he's having a somewhat resurgence thanks to Guy Ritchie at the minute, man. So 100%. Yes. I like Hartnett a lot. Because I don't really know what action stars are flying well, around these like, days. Uh, the temptation is to, and it, we can't because, but Gosling would do a really good job of that. 
And he did such he a good would. job in The Nice Guys that it's really hard for me to look past him as one of the choices oh. for this because he is so good at hitting that feel-good, non-ironic 80s action film feeling that I kind of oh, want. Oh, Gosling would be really good. I can see him a little sweaty. I and he's so good at being sweaty. sweaty tank top. Oh, yeah. Sweaty tank top. <laughs> oh, my lord. Yeah. Yeah. And he can wear Yeah, okay, ball. Gosling. So I... Because I think in the as the film goes on, the... Um, Richard Darkside Moonahan's he's kind of like the Luke Skywalker role in that he is kind of the lead, but it's also a thankless role. Everyone's going to be looking at the Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to be looking at Randy. So you'd want a Gosling for that, I reckon. So who are we picking for Richard in that case? So we want to chill out a little bit. We want to have a slightly more straight-laced... Is it? Are we talking like Older Guy Pearce in LA Confidential straight lace? Like, not for Guy Pearce for this, he's too old. No, because he's also... He's Darkside Moonahan, so he's someone who yeah, goes... He's, like, he takes it to the limit, it. man. He takes it. Yeah. Doesn't quite. He doesn't. Yeah. And he blurs the lines of those limits. So he doesn't really. Doesn't really know who he is or what he's supposed to do. Well, he knows what he's supposed to do, but he doesn't know what, what part of him to give and what part of him to keep for himself. I mean, I, I want him in everything, but I, I would maybe have Jake Gyllenhaal. He can be strung out. We've seen Nightcrawler. I'm just sorry. I, I was thinking of Jake Gyllenhaal. You're just thinking of, you're just thinking I, of Jake I, Gyllenhaal. All I can see whenever I mention him or I think about him is his smile from uh, Spider-Man and how beautiful it is. So I, I, I always take oh, a few seconds God. of just sort of shutting down, basically. Yeah. So forgive me. Uh, he would be very good next to Gosling as well. And I think that they would be able to work well together with their sort of like the same kind of energies, man. Yes, because they're both very good at being very wacky and being very, very or pulled in. We could do, much as I, the film was a bit bland, but we could do a Grey Man reunion and have Chris Evans as one and Gosling as the other. Well, because they had a really nice energy together. We could, like, maybe, dare I say, improve upon that Grey Man dynamic that was presented to us a while back, man. AC8 casting? Uh, Berenger is a big bad. Yes. You mentioned it earlier, but it's got to be Kurt Russell. And but then I but then I'm immediately playing Tequila Sunrise in my head, and I'm we can't continue that casting to its logical uh, conclusion, man. No, uh, Gary Sinise. Uh, or no, I got it. Kurt Russell and Bill Paxton. Yep. Yeah. No, we can finish the podcast now. I mean, I, I, okay, <laughs> it's been a lovely yeah, podcast. See you, mate. Yeah. Good horses. What? Yeah. A hundred percent Paxton. Other things I had for Dark Side Thunder before we get on to our small pitches. And you can tell me about some of your other options you had for One yes. Heart. I was going to do a sequel to Blue Thunder, and there would be a, a bad version of Blue Thunder. Amazing. A bit like Firefox. Yeah, yeah, And they'd have to yep. battle it. They'd have to battle it. Yeah. That was one thing. I like that, um, man. And I also like, I like the idea of pitching a sequel for something that already exists based on the horse name. I think that is, mm, uh, I like that, that idea nice itself as well. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, absolutely. The other one I had, I'll only do two. The other one I, th- I thought was Dark Side Thunder is a really good name for a tag team. As in, we're talking WWE slash F. Yes. Excellent, yeah, yeah. man. Excellent. So would you go like, were you thinking like Foxcatcher sort of uh, drama or some kind of uh, glow-esque celebration? Of the yeah, whole... something a bit more of a celebration. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. a bit more kind of fun and freewheeling and, yeah. Yeah, you could do a Boogie Nights light sort of... Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, without all of the really bad things that happen in that movie. I was like, Boogie, <laughs> yes, Boogie Nights yeah, light yeah. is like saying, like, Apocalypse But then the more I thought about... Know. The more I thought about Dark Side Thunder as a tag team and thinking about a Boogie Nights thing, the more I thought, oh, but without the dark side of Boogie Nights thing, 
the dark side of wrestling is really dark. Well, that's the thing. All, all it's, my heroes. It's been difficult to avoid that without it being quite horrible. offensive. Yeah, that yeah, you're yeah. Not, That you're not talking about that stuff, yes. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that that. Glor- glorifying all the good stuff. I don't know. So I, I elected for straight action. I And I, I love that. I really genuinely got really excited watching that in my head as we were talking about it. Man. So <laughs> that is much appreciated. And you had to, uh, had to with a name like that, man. Any, any other alternatives for One Heart? So my other uh, One Heart pitch, uh, which I was, I was tempted to... <laughs> uh, I was sort of horribly tempted to, uh, uh, to uh, continue to its illogical conclusion. Um, it was like a, I was pitching it as like a Lifetime Channel movie. Okay. In which a uh, a uh, um, a surgeon and her husband who are working together on some incredibly advanced uh, transplant um, ideas, methods, and technologies, um, her husband dies, and uh, she believes has come back to a re- reincarnated in the body of this deer that keeps visiting the lake house that the two shared. Right. And over the course of the film, she um, begins to uh, bond with this uh, deer and it starts mm-hmm. to leave her clues to the previous relationship and like prove that it is in fact her husband reincarnated. How does it, how does it leave her clues? <clears throat> like two scrapes like, the hoof or, yes. Can we have a scene with a, <laughs> the stag doing a Ouija board? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the marker would fit really well between yeah, his front exactly. like, hoofs, yes. wouldn't it? Yeah. Because <laughs> they're made for Ouija. <laughs> And over the course of the film, mm. um, yeah, uh, and and also I think she'll have a congenital heart issue herself, which they mm. were both striving to cure. Ooh, really the hammering the theme here, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely, Good. man. This is a lifetime nice. film. I ain't yeah, holding yeah. back here, man. And then uh, in the end, like the uh, deer uh, will break into the uh, the um, the lake house, and it will like find the flash drive that the husband left with all <laughs> of the rest of the research that allows her to get the transplanted heart from the deer to her thus uh, joining her back with her dead dead husband. So she has her husband's reincarnated heart from the deer back into her body. (laughs) Yes. Can you... Can humans have peas uh, or something like that? And they were starting off with pigs, but Mm -hmm. then like he's got even further, and it's it's absolutely incredible. And that is where that's all stored on the flash drive. The uh, the uh, deer (laughs) brings it. She shoots the deer, takes his heart, and puts it in her chest. Thus reuniting her. She does open heart surgery on herself. I think. I think by that time she'll probably take it to a, a, a trusted uh, colleague or something like that. Maybe as as tempted as I am to have an open heart cabin scene with the deer on the table. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think the deer should get an accident or sacrifice itself. Yeah, it jumps in front of her car as she's coming yes, back from shopping. Exactly. It jumps in front <laughs> and of it's got the flash out. drive in its mouth. It's yes. got the information to give her the transplant. There we go. <laughs> Comes through the windscreen, windshield, face first. And then it's big antlers, like, pin either side of the woman. So it's face to face with her with the flash drive in its mouth. <laughs> and then it, like... It's like dying pop. It just falls into an open shocked hand. <laughs> she just puts it into the car. Amazing. Darling, if you're listening to this, I've died. I've died. <laughs> and I might be a deer. With any luck, the stag has taken <laughs> that, that, that was where I went first and thankfully did not continue going. No, uh, I, I liked everyone. what we got. Thank you yeah. very much. Should we do some no, short pictures? Welcome. Oh yes, yeah. yeah I've got a very. I've got a nice. I've got a nice one-liner. Um, okay. 
for yours, my man. So you my, you hit okay. me with yours first, mine's, please. Mine's pretty short as well. Yes, okay. That's okay. it. It's basically <laughs> One Heart. My short pitch for One Heart is the trials and tribulations of a down on his luck inventor of a reflexive polymer or a reflexive metal that NASA nobody wants. It's like a schlubby salesman. Down on his luck. And a fired sports executive in marketing or something. Their, their great hope was found with loads of drugs or something. He was fired. And it's their meet cute. Yeah. It's them setting up their agency to try and somehow take the invention that this guy has, this reflective bendy metal, and his marketing noose. And it's the story of how they created Brett the Hitman Hart's sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> Oh mate, so, so it's Jerry Maguire and Steve Jobs, kind of a mashup thing. Yeah, 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 just in one. Yep. Yeah, everybody wanted when I was growing up. Anyway, yep, everyone wanted Brett the Hitman Hart's wraparound shades. I can, I can so, feel them around my head. Yeah, uh, that such was the joy when I first put them on, man. Back that's in the my one heart pitch. It's the story <laughs> of Brett the Hitman Hart sunglasses. Right, my one line pitch for Dark Side Thunder. Um, yeah. I did what I Ron sealed. Uh, this particular one. Uh, <laughs> can you believe it? Uh, Dark Side Thunder, uh, Twister meets Rogue One, uh, an intergalactic storm-chasing crew uh, in the Star Wars universe, uh, go out to the darkest quadrant looking for as many of these absolutely insane, ginormous, beautiful intergalactic storms that are occurring all over the galaxy and in doing so uncover a massive Imperium conspiracy in one of the galaxy's less-travelled quadrants. Yeah. And so we get, yeah, the crew together chasing the storms. They, against, they don't want to be uncovering anything. They want to be chasing storms, man. That's what they do. But they can't help but not turn their back on what they find in the uh, outer quadrants. Yep. All right. Dark Side Thunder. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Star Wars. We haven't done, we should do an episode where we do um, a, uh, a franchise. Yes. Like pick a, pick a racehorse for each other. Or no, maybe we do one racehorse, eat, same racehorse, yep. same fr- same franchise, two different pitches. Yep. That could be quite fun. Yeah, yeah, Fast and the Furious uh, <laughs> for <laughs> colon, whatever the racehorse is. <laughs> yes, <exactly. laughs> Amazing. Speaking of racehorses, shall yeah, we... Yeah, we got a couple for next week, I suppose, my man. Shall we? I've, I've picked a race. I've picked the 140 at Taunton. Ah, the uh, British Racing School 40th Anniversary Celebration Handicap Hurdle. No class less. five. Class five. Hmm. Have you got one? Uh, hit me first. Okay, I'm going to give you the Rain King. Rain spelt R-A-I-N. The oh, Rain thank goodness, King. man. Like that, thank you. That's not a pun. I was thinking R-E-I-G-N. Uh, and my goodness. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you very much, man. I've now got a Counting Crows song uh, stuck in my head, and that's uh, oh, not necessarily Christ. a bad thing. That's okay. That's okay. I uh, give you in... Uh, return, Broomfield's Cave. Broomfield's Cave. Okay. If only it was Bromfield. If it was Bromfield, then I would have got that because Bromfield is Michael Caine's character in Zulu. There's a band called Bromfield's Jacket named after him because Michael Caine in Zulu never takes off his red jacket throughout the entire film because yeah, he's a... He's a bloody officer. He's an officer, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Flimmin' loopy, man. Broomfield's Cave. I'm in. All right. Okay. Thank you so much for that. We had today, we had One Heart and we had Dark Side Thunder. We cast those in multiple 
time periods. We develop stuff. I quite like the developing of what we're going on and what we're doing rather than sitting here listening to a lot. Yeah, we don't want to just dictate. I absolutely agree, man. I thought that was um, quite nice. And it's fun. That. I've so enjoyed, uh, especially Dark Side Thunder, man. That was really, <laughs> really, 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 really good fun to go through, man. So amazing work. That was cracking. Thank you. Thank you. And I loved One Heart. And that One Heart, to me, arrived almost pretty much complete. It was so lovely. And your tone of detectorists was bang on. Happy with that. Yeah, so I'm just beautiful. Enjoy the countryside. Nothing, nothing, nothing too much more than that, man. That's so great. Okay, well, well, thank you so much for that. We will be back, I guess, next week. Same time next week. Um, we'll be releasing these when we get round to it. I've got Broomfield's Cade for the 140 at Taunton. And I have got uh, Rain. King. You've forgotten already. The Rain King. The Rain King. <laughs> yes, that's correct. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> we'll, cut to, we'll cut to commercial. Cut to commercial. Yeah, yeah, I think. I, I just, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dude, thank you so much. That was an absolute pleasure. Uh, everyone that's out amazing. there, take care. Enjoy your weeks, uh, including yourself, sir. And I uh, look very forward to uh, chinwagging with you uh, in seven days' time, mate. Yeah, man. The next time. Until then, happy horsing. Well, there we have it. Another episode of Racehorse Movies is over. Both hope you had as much fun listening as we did coming up with these films and recording our pitches. If you enjoyed this, please share it around with your friends and loved ones. And if it wasn't your thing, I don't know, maybe share it with someone you miffed with. Who knows? If it's not for them either, maybe you two can build some bridges over that connection. But if you did like picking up what we put down and you fancy checking out some more content from us, then head over to theneverpress.com to take a gander at our novels, poetry and other bits and bobs. Anyway... That's about enough from us. Hope to have you back next time for some friendly chats and barely thought through pitches at Racehorse Movies. Ta-ta! Ta-ta!